When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Today, I'll be chatting with Meg Garham. Meg is a pediatric physical therapist working at a large pediatric hospital in Chicago. Meg works in the NICU, specializing in seeing babies both inpatient and outpatient, as well as kids of all ages for developmental delays and injuries. Meg has a blog where you can find printable PDF resources on things like how to help your baby roll and sit, as well as ways to get in touch with her for services. In today's episode, we will discuss some of the most common things that Meg treats children for items that she thinks you can do without during those first few years, how to interact with your baby and encourage motor development with items you already have around the house, and so much more. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, everybody. Today we have Meg Garhan here on the podcast. Welcome, Meg. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So I would love to start off by just having you share a little bit about what drew you to pediatric physical therapy to begin with and what makes you want to come back day after day. So I grew up doing gymnastics from the time I was four until the end of high school. And I had my fair share of injuries over the years. So I was a frequent flyer in (laughs) physical therapy as a patient myself. I had really, really good physical therapists. And I thought to myself, this seems like a fun job. I think I could see myself doing this. I thought that I would always work with athletes just because that was my personal Mm -hmm. experience with it. But as PT school went on and through my clinicals, I realized that I really loved working in the NICU and watching babies develop through their first few years of life. Mm -hmm. I also think what ultimately drew me to pediatrics in general was just the ability to make such a difference in a whole family's life instead of just one patient when you see adults. And then as far as what keeps me passionate about it every day, I am really passionate about what I do because babies go on to become toddlers and then they become kids and teenagers and then eventually adults that may raise their own kids. And all the time, I'm able to see firsthand the impact of giving somebody independence has through their whole lifespan. I think I see such a wide variety of kids and also abilities. And I think Mm -hmm. no matter what, there is room to make a difference in that kid's life, but then also their family's life. And as they grow to be an adult, the way that they interact with the world can be changed by what I do, which seems like such a big deal when I say it out loud. And I think that I need to remind myself of that every day when you Mm -hmm. get stuck in the monotony of just seeing patient after patient after patient. And I think it's important to kind of remember that. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you mentioned that you were a gymnast for so many years because um, I was actually chatting. One of my good friends, she is a physical therapist as well, and she works with children. And we were talking about how uh, one of her daughters plays soccer. And 
there were, I think there were two girls, I think it was in the same game, or it was like, you know, within a couple of weeks that these two girls on the same soccer team had the same injury, the same knee injury. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about how it is so, so important for these kids to be doing conditioning, even if it's like five minutes of the practice or what have you, before they get into playing soccer, because otherwise they're just overusing these same muscles every single day at soccer practice, but they're not actually like strengthening it. And so these kids are getting hurt and there's no one to be like, oh, hey, you really need to be doing X, Y, and Z exercises with these kids to strengthen up the ligaments and the, you know, like all the things mm-hmm. that you need for support. And it's funny because you look at some of these schools and I know we live in a town where sports is like a huge deal, you know, like, I mean, kids play soccer starting at age two, three, and they're, by the time they're 10, 11, they're like playing five days a week, you know, year round. And it's kind of, but again, they're not focusing in on these like really specific things that can condition them to play that sport and allow them to not get hurt throughout. And I don't think it's emphasized enough that, you know, physical therapists are like really important when it comes to that. I think, I think every sport could kind of benefit from a physical therapist being like, Hey, listen, why don't you just incorporate these couple exercises before your practice? And it will help your kids to jump better and jump laterally better and do all these things. You know, with basketball, you're going to be doing different drills than you are with soccer or with gymnastics. So it's really, really interesting. And I had talked to her about it for, you know, a long time. And I I mean, it's not even something I had thought of. And I'm in the medical field and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. These girls are having the same injury because they're very obviously overusing certain muscle groups and such that are not conditioned to be doing this five days a week. you know? Yeah. And then they go exactly. into the soccer game and they give it their all and they injure themselves, right? Because they're not having the specific conditioning that they need. So are you always just working with infants like in the NICU or are you also extend? do you also work with kids of older age groups? I actually work with kids of all ages from like preterm infants in the NICU all the way up to teenagers. And what you're talking about with Uh, sports injuries, or really any diagnosis. So I see babies from birth to 18 and sometimes older than 18 if they've been coming to the children's hospital that I work in their whole life and they're, say they're 21, they can still be seen in the children's hospital. So I see kids of all ages and some Mm -hmm. even into adulthood. But I think what you are saying is so true. There are so many overuse injuries or just injuries from lack of dynamic warm-up. I don't necessarily think that stretching is as important as a dynamic warm-up is. Mm -hmm. So I tell kids all the time, junior high kids and high schoolers, that even if their friends aren't doing this stuff before practices or games, I teach them a dynamic warm-up and I tell them to get their friends involved because sometimes they think, oh, this isn't cool because nobody Mm -hmm. else is doing it. But I (laughs) tell them, well, it's really cool to not be injured. So if you get all of your friends involved, (laughs) you guys will actually have a full team to play your sport. And I think once they realize that it helps, they're like, oh, yeah, my friends do want to do this stuff with me. And now we've been doing this before our practices or before our games. And then the coach sees that it's beneficial. So I think that that's a way that you can kind of incorporate it. I only maybe see one kid on their team, but then if they get their friends to do it too, Mm -hmm. there's a lot more buy-in. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't ever really remember. I mean, I played sports in high school, but like, I never remember dynamic warmups or conditioning being like a huge part of it, like before you got into everything else. Right. I feel like it was like, okay, run three laps, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like run three laps, do a like straddle stretch. And then let's get into it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That was kind of the warm up. And I feel like we know so much more now than we did even 20 years ago. And I feel like really gearing those dynamic warmups to the sport that you're actually playing is so beneficial for kids and, you know, especially at preventing injury. So during the first year of a child's life, what are the key motor development milestones that we should be looking out for as parents? And like, what are some of the red flags that we would want to, you know, seek out professional help if we see those? Yeah. In the first year, there are a few main milestones that we look for. And then if you're not seeing those things by a certain age range, that would be when you would maybe seek professional advice. So the first one would be a baby being able to lift their head up when they're on their tummy. And really, they should be doing this within the first few weeks of life. And then rolling, we look for between four to six months of age, sitting between five and seven months, crawling around eight to 10 months, and then walking around 12 to 15 months. And as far as timing, these are ranges and it's truly different for every baby, but I am a firm believer that the order does matter. So when I'm working with a baby or a child, just because of the age they are, I don't work on necessarily that skill. So say if a child is nine months old and not rolling yet, I would start there and maybe even go back to the basics of tummy time before I would start to focus on things like crawling. Because I think that the order sets a child up for success with motor milestones later on. Mm -hmm. And then I also think it's valuable to work on strengthening in all of these positions at all ages. So tummy time, uh, time on their back, time on their side, sitting, standing, all of those things are beneficial at any age, but you might just work on them differently dependent on the age of the child or the uh, point of development that they're in. And then red flags would be, it's kind of hard to say, I hate using the term red flag because I think people are scared by that. But really, if you're not seeing your child's do these milestones within those age ranges. You don't necessarily need to be very worried about it, but I think it's worth seeking medical advice. And it might just be one PT session that you need to get information on how do you encourage these things at home. It might not be where you need to go to PT every week for the first year of their life. So I think that sometimes people are nervous to get help because they think that it will mean they're going to be in PT forever or that it means something is really wrong with their child when that might not be the case. So I think it can be consultative if you need to seek advice for a certain milestone as well. Yeah. I feel like as a parent, at least with my first, I was so concerned about every single thing that they were doing and making sure that everything was quote unquote on time. And I can tell you, like as a parent of four kids, they were all very different with when and how they met their milestones. I mean, and they're just not all built the same. Like I had one child that wasn't really walking until 17 months and, and again, totally fine. And now like doing things that are, I would feel like 
developmentally wise with their motor skills, maybe even above their older sibling, you know, and it doesn't mean anything for their development later on either. So yeah, I I do think it can be, you know, you hear these, these ranges of time and you're so focused in on that, especially if you're, you know, a parent of a first child and you're like, okay, well, when are they going to crawl? When are they going to crawl? And it can be really hard, right? If your child mm-hmm. is getting to that like end of the of the age range and you're like starting to freak out. Are there any things that we can be doing as parents to kind of guide them to reach those milestones? I know you did mention tummy time. We can talk a little bit about like how often they can be doing that, but as they mm-hmm. get to use their bodies more and more as they go through that first year, what are some things that we can help them with and aid them through to meet those milestones? I always tell parents, when in doubt, keep it simple. So with babies, they're going to develop all the skills they need by simply putting them down on a firm, flat surface to play when they're awake. So this could be a blanket on the floor or in a pack and play if you need to keep them in a safe place away from wild toddlers or animals or just a play mat. And this is how they're going to use their muscles the most and move the most versus being in something super comfortable all the time. So I think really that's all you need to do is put them in a place where they're able to move and develop mm-hmm. on their own. It is a little bit of a controversial topic to talk about baby equipment, like mm. bouncers, swings, exercisers, things like that, that hold your baby in a position where they're not moving as much. But I think it is important for parents to know that your child is going to move more if they have the freedom to move. And if they're more contained, they'll move less. And sometimes as a mom, I understand that, you know, I had two kids under two, they were really close together. It was complete chaos. And sometimes the baby didn't want to lay down. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the baby didn't want to go on their tummy and she couldn't sit up yet on her own. And I needed to cook dinner because my husband wasn't home yet. And I had a two year old on my leg. So I think in situations like that, you can put your baby in something for a short amount of time. But I think just knowing in the back of your mind that it is better to put them on a flat surface will take you far because Mm -hmm. I think that that will be a reminder throughout the day to give them more time to move than putting them in this piece of equipment and then transferring them to another piece of equipment and then to another piece of equipment where they're kind of contained the whole day and they just have to move a lot less. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's just so many different pieces of equipment that you can buy for your child now, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and you see them everywhere. You can put them into, you know, there's like 55 different swings. And I remember being extremely overwhelmed and I feel like there's probably even more now than there was 10 years ago. But it's like, you feel like you need these things and you don't realize like it is going to save you money and space in your house to just put your child down into, like you said, like a safe space where they can just do their own thing and have some toys around that they can just play with makes it so much easier. Right. I think we had, we had very minimal things I just don't like my house being like totally cluttered. Our house is not gigantic and like our kitchen is, you know, it's average size, but to have these extra saucers, this and that, I mean, they take up a ton of space, you know? Yes. So with multiple kids, you can't have that all over the house. Like kids are tripping. They can't play. They can't like move around. Mm -hmm. So we had like a baby Bjorn bouncer thing. I would always try to limit the time that they were in there. Like if I knew they were going to 
snooze a little bit when they're really young, like a couple weeks old, I would always just place them right in there next to me. And then that way I can cook, but also keep my eye on them. Right. But are there any like specific pieces of equipment that you would say I would definitely avoid this in particular? I would definitely avoid walkers that you put a child inside of. The push walkers are a little bit better because they're not contained and they're using their own muscles. But walkers that you put a baby inside of really encourage babies to lean into the front of that little sling seat. Mm, And then they can kind of turn off all of their core muscles and their glutes. And then they just kind of use momentum and go forward on their tiptoes. Right. So not even for safety reasons, but more just teaching them poor posture. And you it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but a lot of times we'll have toddlers or even older kids come in for outpatient therapy and they have either complaints of toe walking or pain in their legs or their calves or back pain or difficulties with balance. And I always go back and ask them, did they use any baby equipment? Did they crawl? All of those things. And a lot of the times they'll say, oh yeah, they loved to go in the walker. So I think that it does make an impact on development later on and how a child learns how to walk. So I would avoid that. And if you're listening to this and you put your baby in a walker, you are not going to ruin them. But I think if you can avoid using it, it's better to just let your baby learn how to pull up to stand, cruise along furniture, and then take steps when they're ready. Today's podcast is brought to you by Copilot. Copilot is a service that provides you with an affordable personal trainer in your own home via an app that personalizes your workouts according to your individual needs and goals. I met with my trainer, Chris, via video chat a few months ago and have loved being able to customize my workouts on a week-to-week basis based upon my goals. Don't worry about having access to equipment at your home. Your trainer will work with you no matter what you have. I have tried quite a few fitness programs over the years and can say that I'm really enjoying the way this one is set up. If you feel like a workout was too difficult or too easy, it is easily adjusted by your trainer to accommodate your needs. It's great being able to have direct access to a trainer and ask some questions whenever you need to. I am currently doing four days of weightlifting on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, and I am doing my own HIIT and endurance training on Wednesdays or Saturdays. My trainer has added in core movements to every strength training workout to help build my core back up after kids. I've already seen a difference in the few months that I've been working with her. I'd love for you to follow my lead to get fit and feel strong. Give Copilot a try to find out why it was listed by Forbes as the top-rated personal trainer app of 2023. Head to go.mycopilot.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, to get a 14-day free trial and 20% off your first month of personalized fitness with your own personal trainer if you sign up before February 1st, 2024. That's go.com mycopilot.com slash Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y to get a free 14-day trial and 20% off your first month if you sign up before February 1st, 2024. Sign up for the new year and let Copilot help you reach your fitness goals. What about jumpers? Do you have any thoughts about jumpers? Like, you know, like a jumperoo type of thing, or like they have even like door frame ones where the kid is able to jump up and down. Right. So I would also say those are not the best either for hip uh, development and hip that, alignment. That's what I heard too. Yeah. 
And if you think about it, they're kind of, it looks like they're standing, but a lot of times it's the spring of the jumper, just allowing them to hit the surface and then Mm -hmm. their foot is propelling them back up into the air. So they're not really using any muscles and babies probably love these because of the movement, but I think you can get that in a lot of other ways than putting them in a jumper. I mean, I've seen pictures of myself as a baby in a doorway jumper that my parents put me in and I'm mm-hmm. okay. So <laughs> I I don't, again, I don't think that this is going to ruin your baby, but I think that there's so many better options out there. And if it's something that you don't need to buy, then I wouldn't. Are there any things that you feel like are worth the money that you're like, okay, this is, this is definitely beneficial. Like we have one of those, I'm wondering your thoughts on, they're like these like sensory swings, you know, like they hang from the ceiling and it, and this is obviously for when kids are older, like not to, you're not putting your infant mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. It's, it's for when they're older and you can like spin around in them. You can climb, like you can kind of do all kinds of things with them. You know what I'm, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. I think those are awesome. Those can give your kids so much proprioceptive input and just sensory input. If they're feeling like they need that, I think yeah. those are really good for older kids. I just think for babies, a lot of the times, if you just think we want them to develop at the point where they are right then. So if a baby is learning to be on their back and reach for toys, you can get that by just putting them on a blanket with a toy above them or a play mat Mm -hmm. with one of those arced toy Mm -hmm. rings above them. If they're learning how to be on their tummy or roll, you can get that by just putting them on their back or on their tummy with a couple of toys in front of them. And if they're learning how to sit, I think you can encourage that by just sitting on the floor with your child and putting your hands on them. Or if you're Mm -hmm. unable to do that, you can put them in. We did this all the time. I used a laundry basket and just put like a pillow in there and you could use that or you could use the high chair. The high chair is another great option where you're already going to have that. And it is a perfect spot to work on sitting when they're close to sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. stand like standing, you can use a play table that they can stand at instead of stand in, or you could even use like a diaper box or a flipped over laundry basket. So I think there's so many things that you could use just around your house that you already have instead of buying new things. Yeah. I feel like that's something that's so nice to hear when I feel like so many products are kind of shoved, especially first time moms, right? Because they have no, they don't, there's no concept. Like I had no concept as to like what I might need. If somebody was, Oh, to help your baby sit up buy this bumbo seat. I used that Mm -hmm. bumbo seat with my first child a few times. And I was like, I hate this thing. My kid hates Uh this thing. (laughs) Yeah. We all hate this thing. (laughs) So there's just so many different options and you don't need to necessarily have any of them really. As you said, like you can just use things that you already have in your house. With high chairs, I learned about this after my, I think it was after my second child, but can you talk to us a little bit about high chairs? And because there's all kinds of fancy high chairs ranging in price from like super affordable. And then there's like crazy, I don't even know, like $500 high chairs. Uh-huh. And they're, they're ergonomically all different. So there are some that have a footrest or some that don't. There's, you know, like the Ikea high chair. So can you talk to us about like the importance of some of those things and what a high chair should have for the baby to have the support that it needs? Sure. Um, we actually did have the Ikea high chair and there's no footrest on it, but it was like $20. You can use it outside. You could use it inside. We mm-hmm. loved it with both of the girls. It doesn't recline, which is actually what you want to look for. You don't really need 
something that reclines because if you are putting your baby in a high chair to eat, they should be able to be upright sitting to take solid food. So you don't really necessarily need anything that has any fancy reclining features. And then you do want to look for a footrest. So since the Ikea high chair doesn't have a footrest, we bought on Etsy just through a small business, somebody that made footrests for the Ikea high chairs. Mm -hmm. And I think these are getting more popular now too. They also sell cushions for that high chair that you can make sure that your child is positioned appropriately in there and in an upright position versus leaning to one side or the other. And then you can also buy fancier high chairs, like you were saying, that are more expensive, that have built-in footrests and support upright sitting. But I think the most important thing, there's so many out there, but look for something with foot support where their hips and their knees can be at a 90 degree angle. So you can make the adjustments needed for that. And then also that they're able to sit upright in the chair without leaning back or leaning to the side. Mm -hmm. And I think Also, it's really important to just wait until they're ready to put them in there. And this is what we were talking about before, where some kids might be ready to go into a high chair at five months old, and some kids might not be ready to go into a high chair until they're like six months old Mm -hmm. and just waiting to start solids until they have enough trunk support to be able to support a swallow because then they'll be able to tolerate solids that much better. We had the IKEA high chair as well. And I remember this was actually when I was still on social media and I had someone had seen it and they're like, you don't have a footrest on that high chair. And you know, everyone's mm-hmm. out to get the moms, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. I, really, I mean, it's crazy to me. Like if there was a dad on the internet who had the same high chair, they'd be like, good job being a great dad. But if it's a mom, they're like, how dare you? There's no footrest. And I was like, yeah. what do you mean? And again, I'm somebody who's in the medical field, like I'm educated. I didn't even think twice that my 10 month old needed a footrest. Like I I just didn't, I didn't think about it. And so I was like, oh my gosh, she's actually right. I mean, she didn't take the right approach, but (laughs) then we got a footrest for this high chair, you know, and I wish Ikea would just like put the footrest on there. Right. Like, I don't know why (laughs) it's so bizarre, right. But it is a great high chair. I agree. Like it's easy to clean. So mm-hmm. many high chairs are like, they have all these parts and I'm like, this is gross. And Ikea high chair, like there's no little crevices where anything can go. You can just easily clean it. Let me, trust me when I tell you, bring that thing outside, hose it down. It's like brand new. It's so nice. Yep. And then I, I did find the only thing that was annoying is for like a younger baby, like six month old to like 12 months, it is definitely the cavity of it is a little bit too big. So you do mm-hmm. have to get like the cushion to kind of like give the baby support or else the baby's like all loosey goosey all over the place. They're definitely not going to fill it out. But I mean, other than that, like I loved that high chair. That thing was like, and it's so light. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's great. It's 20 bucks and you're going to spend what, just like a couple, like, I don't know, like an extra 20, $30 just getting like the cushion and the, I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. sure you could also make your own footrest, right? Like you could probably make your using like, I don't know, fabric that's like taunt and just wrap yeah. it around the legs and you can move it up and down depending on the, the child's where their feet are. Or those little bands that you can use for strength training or like resistance oh, yeah. training that you can put around your thighs. You can put around the, the legs. front of the high chair legs yeah. and then they can use that sometimes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That's a little trick. Yeah. Yep. And that's, you know, free if you have it downstairs already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what are like the most, I would love to hear, especially... I would say in the older kids, like maybe even if you went by age range or like some of the most common things that you 
treat kids for as they're getting older? Sure. I see babies all the way to teenagers. So I can just start with the babies that I see. Some are just born early and need extra time to develop their motor skills. Uh, But I also see babies that have had more serious neurologic events like a stroke or a lack of oxygen at birth or have spina bifida where their spinal cord is kind of outside of their body. I see babies with rare genetic conditions. And I also see babies that are completely typically developing, but maybe they have a tight neck muscle that we call torticollis mm-hmm. or that are just delayed with their milestones. So I think even within each age group, there's such a range of what I see mm-hmm. in toddlers and young kids. A lot of times they're coming in for toe walking, difficulties with balance. I see some kids with cerebral palsy and other neuromuscular conditions. I I could probably list so many things, but those are some main diagnoses. Mm-hmm. And then in teenagers, I see a lot of athletes uh, recovering yeah. from injuries or surgeries for their knee, their hip, mm-hmm. their ankle, their shoulder. I also see kids with chronic pain, which I feel like has had a bit of an uptick recently, even since COVID, Mm -hmm. there's been a lot more with that. And also kids after concussion, if they're not improving the way that we would expect or in the timeframe that we would expect. That's really, really interesting that you mentioned chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And do those kids like typically have like any known injuries or is it just like a generalized chronic body pain all over? Uh, Some of both. So sometimes Mm -hmm. I see kids that have where they've maybe had an ankle sprain, and then it kind of triggers this heightened pain response. And then they continue to have pain for a longer period of time than it takes for their injury to heal. So it's Mm -hmm. more related to their nervous system response to the pain from that injury, if that makes sense. And then sometimes it is more psychologically related where then it's impacting Mm -hmm. their physical well-being. Right. I mean, I was just going to say, I'd love to see research study, you know, just like mental health and that part of it with those specific patients that you have, you know, Mm -hmm. especially if it's, it's been in the past couple of years, like that's so interesting. Okay. So is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't already mentioned anything that you think might be important for parents to know maybe as their kids are getting older out of like that infancy, like that first year of age. Cause I know people talk about those people talk about the milestones from like zero to 12 months all Uh the time, right? Like those are the, when you say milestones, like that's what you think about. But like, obviously as the child's growing up, there's so many other things to think about and to know about like as they're going through those first couple years. So what else do we need to be looking for? So I think, and again, tummy time too, we always talk about it in that, in the first couple months about it being so important. But then I think beyond that, people kind of forget about it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes kids can benefit from time on their tummy at any age. So if kids are weak and in their neck muscles, their back muscles, their glutes, because they maybe never crawled, it's not too late for them to work on that as a skill. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times I even will give that as an exercise for kids of any age. For toddlers, you can encourage crawling by having them crawl through a tunnel or make a little Mm -hmm. obstacle course of having them climb up and over something or climb through a tunnel at the park. 
And then kids that are older, you can have them do supermans on their tummy where they're lifting their arms and legs up, or even just giving them the idea of if they're coloring or watching TV, lay on your stomach, because then Mm -hmm. they'll have to lift their head up and use all those muscles. So I think that just because your kid maybe missed a skill, may it be crawling or something else, you can always go back to it. I don't think it's ever too late to work on something at a later age. And I think it's always beneficial to go back to things that they missed if it will help them to develop skills down the line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. There was one other thing too I wanted to to chat with you very briefly about um, that I had talked to you about in the email. So I'd love to talk about weight training and kids, like just whatever you might know about it. And I only ask this because I feel like there's a couple schools of thought on this where there's like the camp of no child should weight train under the age of, you know, X, Y, or Z. Or, you know, there's this other school of thought where it's like, well, if your kids don't weight train, they're going to be more susceptible to injury and, you know, all the things. So like, what are your thoughts on that? And do you think that it is beneficial for kids to start weight training at all, like during their preteen or teen years? Yeah, I can see both sides of that argument to be true, like for different reasons, because Mm -hmm. I think weight training can absolutely be effective and beneficial in kids, but I think it depends a lot on how much weight and the frequency that kids are lifting weights. And I also think that it's hard to give an exact age of when a kid could start weight training because every kid is so different with skeletal maturity and going through puberty Mm -hmm. and things like that. So it's hard to give an exact age for when to start that. Mm -hmm. I think that if you're using light weight or resistance bands, things like that, that are easier on a kid's joints, I think Mm -hmm. that is totally fine at any age. And if you think about using light weights, really toddlers are technically, you could say that they're doing lifting because (laughs) I have a three and four year old and they walk around all day carrying heavy things. They lift step stools up and move them. They push mm-hmm. chairs around the house. They, you know, the things that they're doing throughout their day are kind of lifting and yeah. using weight throughout their day. But I think what you're talking about is more say like deadlifting heavy weight at a young age. And I think that you always just have to start with a body weight exercise, make sure that their form is perfect before you add weight. Otherwise, that's when you're going to run into further injury Mm -hmm. and overuse injuries. And then also just making sure that somebody's watching them that is well versed in weightlifting form and technique. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. Well, I think what we're going to do is end this with two questions that I always ask anyone that comes on here and they're completely unrelated to what we talked about today. So the first question I have for you is if you could give one piece of advice to parents, um, especially moms, what would it be? I would say turn to your friends that are moms instead of turning to Google because people that have gone through every stage of motherhood ahead of you really know what they're doing and can encourage you through conversation more than a search engine can. And then I would also say to never be afraid to advocate for your child. Because usually if you have a gut feeling about something, or even if you have just a tiny concern that you can't shake, it's worth looking into. Yes. I love that. Uh, Last question is if you could make one meal for your whole family that everyone would eat, that's relatively quick and easy. What would that meal be? 
I would say homemade pizza. We do live in Chicago and we all love pizza. Mm -hmm. And then it's also, my kids love to do this because it's kind of like a craft to them where they get to help make it and put the toppings on and they usually just do cheese. But then me and my husband can put veggies or meats or whatever Mm -hmm. else we want on it too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love, I love doing that with the kids and they just like love making their own thing. But yeah, I, they, I've never seen them actually put any other toppings on it. Actually, I think our eight-year-old, she really loves putting like olives on it, which is like such a random thing, right? It's so random, but she'll eat like an entire can of olives. I'm like, you won't eat anything else, but you'll eat olives. (laughs) Somebody tell me like, what is this? Yes. But yeah, I feel like anything that you can give them where it's their creation and they get to like pick what goes on it, like tacos and stuff like that is always, Mm -hmm. it's always a hit, right? Yep. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much, Meg, for taking the time out of your day to talk with us about milestones and how we can support our babies as they grow with their development. This was great. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.